podcast with an exclamation point. Thanks for tuning in. This week, my guest is Aaron Levine. Aaron Levine is VP of Men's Design of Abercrombie & Fitch. And this week, he talks about learning from your failures, being a bug in the system, and how it's okay to talk about Star Wars. Let's get to it. Aaron, you're on Blamo. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. It's good to see you. It's good to be in between your legs right now, sharing this microphone. Yeah, Aaron and I are sitting extremely close to each other right now um, because we got to share. And I'm actually doing the whole, like, you can't see this, but I'm doing the whole news reporter move the mic back to the other person, right? Yeah. Anyway, Aaron, I, I brought you on because, one, Michael totally suggested it and was like, you got to get Aaron on. Michael Williams, that is. He's like, you got to get Aaron on. But we met a while ago when you were at Rogue's Gallery. And we... It was... It might have been at Hickey. So here, I'll, I'll just... I'm going to hand the mic to you. What am I saying? Yes, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we, we met at... We met at, uh, at Mark Burger. You remember that? You, me, Lawrence, and that was with your protege at the time. Yeah, that's right. And uh, those little sliders on St. Mark's, you know, those were delicious. Spicy, you know? We were younger then, right? Yeah. Was Ian there too? Yeah, yeah, Ian Velarde was there at that time. We'll, we'll get into your background and stuff, but the big thing is, like, you're kind of the American dream of the designer that's still around and, and not named Ralph Lauren. Because uh, if you think of other designers... You know, when I think of, I don't know, maybe like Tom Brown is still around, but I mean, with all respect to Tom, he's not really designing anymore. He's more just like, yeah, cool, make more great, you know? And um, I just want to talk to you a bit. How did you go, you know, you so you went from Hickey to Rogue's Gallery to uh, to Jack Spade to Club Monaco and now to Abercrombie & Fitch. Like, how did you get into just menswear design in general? Like, how did you land at Hickey? Well, the first job that I had in this industry was um, I was a wholesale sales assistant for Joseph Abood. Like, I didn't have any connections up here or anything. I didn't know anyone. What year was that? Uh, 2002, I think. <clears throat> and, like, through you know, stars aligning and, and whatever good graces are out there. My mom actually ended up sitting next to this woman at a dinner, right? And they start talking because I'm an abject failure at this point in my life. I'm in a deep, dark hole, you know, <laughs> living in Virginia, just kind of like all my friends are like going off and like getting great jobs, you know? Was this right out of college? Yeah, this was, you know... I took my time there. I wasn't the best student, you know. At what college? Sorry. Uh, that was Virginia Tech. I went to Virginia Tech. I stumbled and bumbled my way through Virginia Tech for close to a decade, I'd say. You know, <laughs> off and on. Kicked out, go back, kicked out, go back, da-da, da-da, da-da. So my mom ends up sitting next to this, uh, another woman uh, at a dinner, and um they start talking, ah, oh, you know, my son goes to UVA or went to UVA. Oh, my son went to Virginia Tech. Is currently sucking, you know, 
away our retirement funds at Virginia Tech, whatever. He's dying to get a job, you know, in New York. Oh, my son is like head of retail planning or something at Joseph. My mom's like latches on the grass. Get my son out of you. Get him out of my house. <laughs> she didn't say it like that. She's lovely. My mom, I'm not making fun of her. So gets me these interviews. I get on the train and like come up here and for, I don't know, three interviews or something. And, uh, yeah, I got offered this job as like a sales assistant. Right. And they're like, Starting salary is $28,000 a year. Banking it. Just crushing life right there. Crushing it. Absolutely. You know, I was, I was a high roller. I think that's what they call it, right? Um, and, like, I was like, how about 35? <laughs> the dude's like, 28. I was like, done. <laughs> okay. I drove a hard bargain. You know, I was, like, pretty good at negotiating, you know? So I was like... Baroque, baroque, you know, moved up here on like New Year's Eve and like had no friends, no clue, no clue what I was doing, you know. Um, and I started, I think it was right after New Year's, like the week after, and it was like market week and you go into a market week and you're a sales assistant, you, you, know, you clean up the showroom. You fall. I didn't even know what, I, I didn't even know how to do that. I didn't even know how to like make a copy, you know, I didn't know how to like write an email. <laughs> right. Cause sales assistants, if you know, from other like market appointments and stuff, you're not, it's really heavy on the assistant and less on the sales. Right. Right. I mean, you're just a complete, yeah. I mean, you just like, you do all the heavy lifting and, but meanwhile you have to be like organized and, you know, and, and I mean, I'm not really that either, you know, I'm really like the least ideal candidate for this position, but somehow I get the job or whatever. And, um, you know, year goes by or something or six months goes by and, and, uh, they were like, we want to promote you to like account executive or something. I mean, I was like packing like trunks, you know, and renting like PT cruisers and driving from like Richmond to Virginia beach to like specialty stores and like would you like to buy my wares? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, thanks. Bye. You know, like just terrified. Like don't even know how to do this, you know? Um, and then like a, an assistant design position opened up there. And I told my boss, you know, he's like, well, we want to promote you to account executive or something. And I was like, ah, you know, I really want to be an assistant designer. You know, well, what have you done? Oh, nothing. <laughs> Did you go to school for that? No. You know, did, have you, do you, uh, so no, you know? And I was like, no, but yeah, please let me do like a project. So there was a woman there, Jean Boland was the design director and she let me do a project that wasn't like terrible, I guess. And through like those things that happened in New York, right place at the right time, you know, I got an assistant designer position, you know, and there were some really talented people there. And I remember like looking up to like the woven shirt designer and like the sweater designer and being like, oh man, like they've like totally made it, you know, like they're like, they're like, their, their title is like designer, you know? And I was like, that's what I want to be. Like, that's what I want, you know? And, uh, so that company got bought out or something. And then I got a call from, I had some friends in, at Joseph Food in like different areas and they had some friends at Hickey Freeman. And they were hiring an assistant designer for Hickey Freeman Sports at the time and got me an interview there. So how, how long are you at? Uh, are you at a boot? Uh, like a year and a half or something. Right? So like I had this interview with this dude, Billy Dratty, who's 
was one of my mentors and awesome guy. And, and, um, like I really looked up to him, you know, and, and I had this interview with him, the first interview I had, you know, I was like, Oh man, this guy's really cool. And so I go back to like Joseph Boone, I have like some ties and I send him this tie, right? Like in hindsight, really terrible tie too. Like really bad, like ugly, like fugly tie. And this is like, Hey, I designed this, check it out. No, I think it was, I think it was more like, it was just around, you know, cause like some of the Taylor dudes were like throwing me some neckwear every now and then. And I was like, I don't really want to keep this one, you know? So this is the coolest of the ones that I don't want to keep. So I'll send it to him. And he, he sends it back to me. He's like, this is a terrible, you know, so I can't remember that he wrote a note. I FedEx it to him. And, and then like the next day I got a FedEx back with a tie in it. He's like, you know, this is, this is terrible. <laughs> and somehow I still got the job, you know? But I remember like interviewing for like with a couple of the people there and like, you know, like some diner on 23rd Street interviewed with, with a woman that was a designer there. And that was that, you know, and then you got to be an assistant designer. And then again, it's heavy on the assistant, right? Like you're just doing like, you're just like updating tech packs and you're at a computer and, and you're trying to be organized with the line and everything. And, and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing, man. Like I had no how old are you at the time? Uh, I, I was a late bloomer, so I was probably like 20, 25, 26 maybe. Okay. You know, like, uh, and, then I, and then my taste, dude, was like so bad, so bad, right? Like, I, I, I don't even want to get into detail because it's like so embarrassing, you know, and I would show up and, and slowly but surely, like I worked with people that were like really tasty, you know, and they, they kind of sometimes would be gentle about it. Oh, here's a cool shirt. Here's like, here, oh, here's throw me a tie, throw me a sport coat or something. I remember like getting my first hand-me-down, like charity sport coat. Be like, Oh, sweet. You know? Um, and sometimes they'd be more brutal. Like, Whoa, dude, you died. Look, what are you? <laughs> you look like fucking clown, man. You know, like, what are you doing? What were you wearing? This is like, I, I, this specific time, I believe I was wearing like a, a pair of Madras trousers and then, a pink and white candy stripe shirt that doesn't seem bad but then like a really bright green tie and then like a blue blazer with a red lining and it was like, so you were hanging with mr mort yeah i was i was slinging used cars is what i was doing i was like what do i need to do to get you into this pontiac today <laughs> <laughs> so i mean you're kind of poo-pooing yourself a little bit here which is totally fine but i think you had to have gotten a little bit there, there was obviously somebody saw some talent in you. You, you didn't just keep falling into success, right? Well, I mean, it's like it's part of it is like having an open mind and like being uh, willing to learn, right? And then being passionate about what you do. You know, it's like, oh, what are your hobbies and stuff? And I'm like, well, what I do is like, what well, this is one of my hobbies. Like, I, I just like this. You know, I liked. I would just get really excited to work with these guys. You know. So we worked on this like Hickey Freeman sportswear line. And then at the same time they were launching this line called Hickey, right? Lowercase Hickey. And Hickey at this time, it, it's basically all like old kind of old man menswear suits and, and lowercase Hickey is, is basically their new like youth culture thing. Right. Yeah, that's right. And there were like some really um, interesting people that were involved with it. And, and I, I stumbled into it. You know, like, uh, there were these three dudes that were working on it within Hickey Freeman, Billy being one of them. Um, 
and and I was just like the annoying like little kid brother, you know. Ah, oh, hey, let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. And everyone kind of had their other responsibilities, you know. Um, and this was like a side project for everyone, uh, me included, you know. But I was like, I just want to be involved with this, you know. Like I want to sit in these meetings. I want to like, I want to, you know. You know, like a lot of the decisions for Hickey at that point were made around like a lunch table and, and uh, you know, Tommy Fazio came on board there who, who obviously went on to be fashion director at Bergdorf and I learned so much from him and there was a stylist that, that he was working with as well named Deb Watson and I learned a ton from her um, and I just watched, you know, and I just, and I just tried to, I just tried to, I would see things put together in like new ways that I didn't, I hadn't thought of and. I, would, I was learning about fabric. I was learning about make. I was learning about construction. I was learning about how to put little lines together. I was learning how to tell stories. I was, um, but I think almost most importantly, like I was just so excited, man, to like be doing this, you know, like I was just like, holy cow. Like I live in New York. I get to like, I get to, I get to do this, you know, I get to do this. And, and for me, that's like, that, that's just as awesome as it gets, you know? And, um, and then slowly but surely, people kind of like fell out of it. You know, oh, I can't do this. I got to focus here. Billy's like, man, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to Polo. And then other guy there, Mike McGinn, he was at Burberry at the time. He's like, I'm moving back to Philly. I'm doing this thing. So everyone kind of like dished it off, right? And then one day it was just kind of like in my lap. And they were like, all right, you're doing it, you know? And so how much time it had gone by when now you're, you're the, you're lowercase hickey? Um, I think it was probably about a year, two years, maybe two years. So that's fast. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, and just kind of work your way up the ranks. I went from like an assistant designer there to, I ended up when I left that company, I was a design director of, of just lowercase hickey, you know? And man, I fucked up the first line. It was terrible. It was just absolutely horrendous. So bad, dude. So bad. You know, it was like, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. And then I didn't like stop to think like, oh, you should do this. Or this is what this is going to look like when it comes in, you know? And then thankfully they didn't like fire me, you know, like the president at the time, Paul Agroflo was like, you know, do better next time, (laughs) you know? And I was like, thank you. So like slowly but surely you kind of like hone your eye and, and thankfully I was at a place that allowed me to like make mistakes and learn from them, you know, but like, I think that that's part of it, right. Is, 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 uh, uh, grit, you know, you like is, is failing. And then from your failures, learning something and like allowing yourself to, okay, man, I screwed that up. So I'm not going to go down that road and choose your own adventure next time. I'm going to try this road. You know, I'm going to try this road. And then you fail at something else, you know, and then you're like, all right, I'm trying not to fail at that, that time. And I'm going to try the other road this time. You know, it's like a, a Raptor with an electric fence. You know, I'm going to find the place that doesn't electrocute me, you know? Yeah. I, there's a, uh... I can't believe I'm going to quote Sheryl Sandberg, but one of the best things that I read from this interview, Sheryl Sandberg is like the COO of Facebook. And one of the things like someone was asking her like, Oh, what's the best young advice that you can give to someone? And, uh, and like, or what, what's the skill set and characteristic that they have? And she said it was the ability to take and grow from feedback. Right. Yeah. You know, yes. But then it's also like question the people who make the rules. Right. So it's like, you know, I think understanding the people that are giving you feedback and, and understanding who they are 
and like, okay, so, you know, and understanding and dissecting what's viable to you, you know? Um, so, and I, and I think absolutely screwing shit up is critical, you know? And then how you recover from that is, is, is what's, what I've learned like the most from is just bombing out, you know, bottoming out and then being like, Oh, how you recover from those allows you to, you know, kind of be a little bit, uh, cooler under fire too, you know, when you're making decisions and you're under duress and stress and pressure and it's like, all right, well, you know, I've done this before and we can figure it out like this. And that's part of the, the fun of the job too. Or, or this profession is just like figuring out things with other talented people and learning from them and growing from them and, and, and like wheezing their juice. You know what I'm saying? Like you get to like hang out with really talented, smart, you know, um, culturally aware, interesting, articulate, dynamic people and learn from them, you know? And I think being open-minded and understanding that, you know, you, what is this, you know, all mean nothing really, you know? So just like trying to glean as much from that as like possible as from this experience and just learning as much and being a sponge and just being an eight year old your whole life is like what it's all about, right? So <laughs> I know I, I agree. I think constantly sort of questioning your surroundings, but also it's really important, I think, for anyone's career to always be in a situation where it's it's safe to fail, yeah. right? And so one of the things that I wanted to like kind of move forward a little bit through here is, so you go, you know, like I was saying, you go from Hickey to uh, Rogue's Gallery and then Jack Spade, and I want to get to Club Monaco. So when Club Monaco is owned by Ralph Warren and you were kind of put in charge with more or less gutting that company and making it like how how did that work out um yeah so i got a call from them when i was at spade and uh you know i think i think taking jobs that are out of your comfort zone and 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 being in positions that are uncomfortable and over your head are also those are exciting positions to be in right because you're you're unsure you're you don't you know you, you it keeps you hungry. It keeps you trying to push things forward. Um, when I got there, women's was already being pushed forward by Caroline Bellhumer, who's still there. Um, and men's was kind of at a spot that it was just had, it just really didn't have an identity. Right. So the task was like, okay, you know, just day one, just go do it. You know, <laughs> you're just like, all right. So you just do it like you know how to do it. You know, and you start pinning things to a board and you start pulling swipe and you're like, ah, and then ideas start to take shape. And then, you know, sometimes they look good and sometimes they don't. And then sometimes you have great line reviews and sometimes you have terrible line reviews. And then it's this organic dynamic process that's always evolving, right? So the first one goes okay. The first line review, meaning like, you know, you design your first line, rig it out. All right, people are responding to it. Cool, cool, cool. And then. And then there was at one point where it, maybe we started to modernize it. Um, again, people on the team were great. Caroline was great. We'd all start to bounce ideas off of each other. We listened to the same kind of music. We kind of had the same vibe. We'd like the same photography. We liked, you know, the same reference points, you know. Um, so it started to, like, click. And, and, and it went from being, like, these kind of 
you know, classic menswear things to like really trying to be like a little more modern with it. And then also, and then also trying to make it accessible and, and, and make the environment in which it was presented comfortable. And, and the music was, was interesting. And it was, and, uh, yeah, man. So we, we, we started with like something that was like polo shirts and khaki pants and just tried to make it like a, a collection, you know? And, 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 the, you know, I think lifestyle's thrown out, you know, like a lot, but I, I don't know, just to make the whole experience like interesting and, 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 and valuable for the customer. So they come in, they're like, oh man, I love this shirt. It's not $300. You know, I love this coat. It's not $2,000. I can afford some of this stuff, you know? Um, yeah, that was it, man. And so we took it from, yeah, from polo shirts and fucking khaki pants to just like tailored clothing and like great outerwear and like beautiful sweaters and like this whole experience that people started to like respond to, you know? Yeah. Like first off, I loved Club Monaco at that time. Uh, like when you started, when you came on board, I remember getting my brother uh, some knits and stuff from there. And one of the things that there's something that you haven't said at all through this entire conversation. And I think it's great. You haven't mentioned any specific type of, Oh, you know, the first thing I did when I came over to Club Monaco is we looked at the trend report and we looked to see, you know, oh, we needed ripped jeans or we needed this or we needed this. Everything that you've said has always been about like gut and feeling. Has it, has it always been like that with you in terms of design? Yeah, totally. Right. It has to be like that. It has to be instinctual. Instinctive. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> gutturalative like it has to just be it has to come from a, page, a place of like passion and honesty and 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 because it got, that comes through when you have the when you have conversations with people about it whether it's a conversation like we're having right now or that it's a conversation that you're having with someone who walks into the store and they see the clothing that you're working on it's it, it i think it needs to come from a place of like this was an inspiration. This feels really good. This image or whatever it is. We might be looking at like, you know, an image of like Bobby Gillespie on stage or something with Primal Screen, who we just saw last night, which is pretty awesome. Um, but like, you know, you might have an image of that and it's like, oh, now how do we build out this whole like, you know, world around that? Um, and I think you need to go to like a source that resonates personally with you and build out from there as opposed to just like, consuming content put together by somebody else who's just consuming content like that becomes diluted and and stale and and inauthentic and i think you know it needs to come from a place of like passion and honesty you know and and then there you can get excited about it and that excitement is real and then people respond to like excitement and enthusiasm because it just shows that you're not bullshitting them you know, and I think that that's, that's important, um, you know, because uh, a lot of this, you know, there's a lot of bullshit out there. And people have, like, strong bullshit detectors, and I think that, that we need to be respectful of that. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I think people are really, specifically with clothes, and when you are kind of behind more or less a, a, a mainstream clothing brand and not something that's super niche so like you know your demographic is not oh it's this you know very narrow guy of this wealth and this and this it's it's like an entire subculture um so what is it to be a bug in the system right and to like work for like big companies and like and like 
make beautiful things with big companies and get it out to a lot of people. Like that to me is like, that's exciting. You know, um, I've worked for smaller companies. I've worked for niche brands where like three people can afford it. And it's like, it's, it's, it was cool working with like, like these such pinnacle fabrics and such pinnacle makes and beautiful, you know, factories and everything like that. But I think, I think one of the most fun things is, is, a working with interesting, talented people and, and, and crafting something from something that might have this perception attached to it. Right. I might think this about it and like changing people's perception to me is like, that's part of the fun. Right. And like, and then, and then you, you, you know, people might think one thing about a brand and then slowly but surely you hack away at it and you, it goes back to grit, right? And you just work on it and work on it and mold it and sand it and love it and rub it and pet it and feed it. And like, and you just keep doing that over and over and over again. You know, it ha you have to be like tenacious and persistent. And then slowly but surely, it like goes the other way, you know? And you change people's perception about a brand and like you get them in a store and it's like, Oh man, they pick something up and it's like, oh, I didn't know they did this or I didn't know they did this or wow, that's actually really nice. And then they look at the price and it's like, Oh my gosh, it's actually like a good value, you know? And I think that that's like, th that's fun. <laughs> you know, like that's fun, man. You know, it's like changing perception and like, and solving puzzles with people that get like animated and enthusiastic about solving the same puzzle that you're trying to solve. Like that's the root of it, I think, you know. Right. No, I I I agree. Sorry for the, that's like a wayward route we're taking. I'm I'm rambling and babbling. No, no, you're good. I think it's again like you're not just saying, Oh, well, you know, it, we had a very scientific approach. We went into this and we looked at this and we saw that, you know, that men were No, I mean and I think that's that's why you are the creative director guy. I mean, this is why you've come into that. And one of the things that you did at Club Monaco that to me was really cool, and this this speaks to the larger sort of, uh, like when I talk to Michael Williams and stuff, like the, the freshman class of cool guys and like camaraderie, is you brought in brands like Hodinkee and things like that into Club Monaco, into you know this massive retail chain across the united states like how how did that come together uh, just again it was guttural and passionate and you know i got to work with michael there too and i got to work with ben we worked with brands like you know rancor out of maine we worked with like 10c we worked with viberg we worked with you know william kleinberg these exotic skin belts out of atlanta we, i mean we had like wonderful partnerships with people you know um alan ed i mean it was just it, it but it came from a place of just like ah you know, oh, some dude would be walking around the office. What are those, man? What is that? Like, those are sweet. What is that? Oh, let's just call them up and see if they want to work on something with us, you know? That's, that was it. Literally, it was like, let's pick up the phone right now and call them, you know? And sometimes they'd be like, who? Nah, we're good, you know? <laughs> and in the beginning, dude, it would be like, people would be like, no, 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 click, click, you know? It's like, cue the montage of like split screen me picking the phone and the other people just like hanging up on me, you know? Um, and then more and more people just started to pick up the phone and like have conversations. Well, because now, now you're cool. I am not cool. Let's make one thing perfectly clear. You know, like 
I think that's also part of like what resonated with people is that like is like getting to the lowest common denominator, you know? Like it's okay to talk about Star Wars. It's okay to say, you know, like I lay clothes on the floor and like lay out little vignettes and see like color palettes on my floor. Like that's what I was doing in like high school, man. You know, like I loved that stuff. It's okay to be a nerd. It's okay to be like a dork. It's okay to like not have this fucking perfect veneer. You know, this, like, crystal clean, like, I'm perfect thing. Like, that's that to me is not okay, you know? So, like, I'm not cool. Like, I am I am a, a nerd, man, you know? Like, I, I'm a dork, and, like, I that's fine. I love that. And, like, I'm at a point in my life where, like, I embrace that. And then when you talk to somebody else and it's like, oh, you're a nerd too? Like, the conversations are better. You know, it's not like, oh, what party are you going to tonight? What? Uh... It's like, oh, what was your favorite scene from Return of the Jedi? What was it? I mean, Princess Leia, dude. You know, like on the barge. That was, I had a major crush on Carrie Fisher. You know? Yeah, she was, she's a knockout. And I don't know why I said Return of the Jedi, because my favorite would probably like be Empire Strikes Back. Then, then New Hope and then Return of the Jedi. So I dropped the ball on that one. Quick, quick sidebar. Um, in South Park, this whole season, which, by the way, I'm a huge South Park fan. I don't know if you watch South Park. I, I did, actually, when my kids were born. It was like we would watch hours of it. But I haven't watched it in years, man. Yeah, okay, so this season is all about, um, <laughs> it's all about obviously, the election. But like, I think, like, nobody has done such a good job of satire recently than South Park. And one of the things that they're talking about this year is internet trolling. And everyone is taking these things called member berries, which are like little like drugs. And all they do is say like, member Han Solo, member Bespin. (laughs) And the thing that they're saying is the root of all this is the fact that J.J. Abrams is in control and the most recent Star Wars wasn't very good. Your thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) Um. I saw it three times in the theater. So. so you loved it. I enjoyed it, you know, and I don't know if I'm taking like a nostalgia pill, you know, but like the first time I saw it was definitely by myself. At like a 9 a.m. showing, <laughs> you know, I was like the only person in the theater and I was like, guys, I got to go see this by myself the first time, you know, like, I, I don't know. I mean, everything evolves, right? Everything changes. So it's just like either embrace it or don't fucking watch it, you know, <laughs> like don't get hung up on it, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I think, I think it is like super nostalgic, but I've talked to other people who are like, you know, after I did see it the 15th or 16th time, it is really similar to a new hope. (laughs) You you either enjoy it or you don't, you know, like I don't want to think too much about it or I don't know. Um, but actually, you know, embarrassingly, like I don't, uh, I don't even know JJ Abrams is the latest one, but he also does Star Trek now. So that's like, doesn't he? Like, yeah, everything star. So everything star. So, you know, when I was growing up, you were either Camp Star Wars or Camp Star Trek, right? Like, you couldn't be both. And, like, you've got people like Neil deGrasse Tyson being like, ah, Star Wars, you people are, like, incompetent. It's not possible. Star Trek, they had blueprints and all this shit. And I'm like, shut up. I mean, I respect you. You're Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I follow you on Instagram and, like, you're brilliant and Cosmos and Carl Sagan and all that. I get that. But like Star Wars, there was something like, I don't know, so Joseph Campbell about it and like the force. And I'm like, I love that shit. But, you know, those new Star Treks, JJ, hit me up. You're doing a great job. JJ, collaborate with Abercrombie. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so 
you go from Club Monaco now and that you continue to climb the ladder. And I know that like you're very humble and stuff, so I'm I'm fine. I'll be your cheerleader here. So you obviously do an incredible job at Club Monaco. You take someone like me, who's very fickle and a little bit of a, a shit and very set in my ways of how I consume, and I'm like, oh, Club Monaco's cool. I'll buy this stuff. It was like, in the best way, I mean this as a huge compliment, it was like cool sort of American-type Cuccinelli-type, you know, with like uh, the, the wool color palettes. Uh, I mean, it was it was great. And then... Now, like this, the stage that's kind of set is there's this. Everyone was talking about how all of the young teenage menswear companies, which were like uh, Aeropostle, or I don't even know how to say it, whatever, Aeropostle, American Eagle, and Abercrombie are more or less struggling. And, you know, we won't talk about all the stupid controversial crap of whatever the CEO being whatever he was doing, but like you, you then get this amazing opportunity to kind of, again, like gut this brand that to me, I mean, Abercrombie, when I was, you know, younger, it was everything. All I wanted was something that said Abercrombie on it because Abercrombie meant acceptance. And so like, how did you, so, you know, you obviously go over there, but how did you go from taking a, a brand that had all of these all of these like strong meanings and stories and, and things like that behind it and kind of start to take it apart. Well, I think at the root of, uh, you know, I think again, you got to kind of go to the source of, of what, what is like hitting the tuning fork for you, you know? And, and for me, like Abercrombie and Fitch was just an iconic American brand, you know? So it, I wasn't like, Oh, that teen brand Abercrombie feature that, you know, I was like, what are, what is, it's an iconic American brand, you know, and it deserves to be that again. So, um, I remember like my first day there, you know, it's terrifying because again, they hire wonderful, smart, talented, skillful people, right. That go to like design school that are like smart, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that have like ability and talent. And then you show, I show up, you know, and I'm just like this, you know, but you have a record. Yeah. There's a little, there's a little bit of a record. It's like, you know, there's a, but, but still that doesn't mean anything to anybody. Right. Because I don't know. Like I always think of the, you know, the stuff in your past is just in your past and it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Because like it's done. It it just you just you did it, but that you can't. There's there's nothing you can bank on that. You know, it's about what you do with the with the people and where you are currently and how you can help them move forward, right? So you show up and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, the team is was much larger there than it was at club, and and people some people had been there a really long time, and some people had some had some tough years there, you know. So it was about like getting to like rebuild that team from the inside uh, and lift them back up, right? And then like, um, and then again, it was just like club, dude. We started pinning stuff to a wall. That was it. That's how it starts. You just start pinning stuff to a wall and like looking at it and sitting back in your chair and you're like, hmm, I could go with some of this or we should use some more of this or how are we going to move this forward so it doesn't feel too old or how to, you know, how to how do we make this feel fresh again? And, and just kind of like working the puzzle again, you know? 
and and uh, and then it's guttural. And then what do we like? What are, what's what's resonating with us? What are we responding to? And we show other people like, you know, around the office, what are they getting stoked by? You know, like, and then what are we all getting stoked about together? And then how are we going to make the store feel like that? You know, <clears throat> and then like as soon as you think you figure something out, someone knocks your puzzle off the table. You know, and then you got to do it again, and you're just like, damn it! I just did that puzzle. I gotta ah! start the puzzle again. You know, it's like every season you gotta start the puzzle again. You know, and every season you're like, ah, you know, like you look at something as soon as you do it, and you're like, I, I can't even look at that anymore. It makes me just, I just get it out of my, I can't even look at that. You know, let's like start on something again. You know, here we go, start again. <laughs> so, like, one of the things that you're in charge of of Evercrumb, well, of many things, it's not just oh, we're going we're gonna to update these fits or we're going to maybe remove a logo here or whatever. You're doing the entire experience. So, you know, I noticed, uh, I don't know, when I went by uh, um, the, big, the big flagship on Fifth Avenue, like it, it just, it had a little bit of a different vibe. So like that's, is, I mean, obviously you have a massive team behind you and I'm all credit to them totally. But, you know, what is... What does that look like? I mean, in in terms of like, were you, you know, are you thinking about like, oh, like how people are checking out or, or, or how, you know, how people are browsing or planograms or stuff? Or is it just like, again, you know, like what's the vibe that we want? What is it? I, I think I think there are people there that are taking a, a more analytical approach. And then there are people there like me that are just having conversations with people that are putting things into effect for that. Oh, you know, that doesn't sound quite right or you know, what if we try something like this and, and getting in a room with people and just having conversations and then becoming like, just being curious, I think, you know, and, 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 and sometimes if it's like you're passionate about something, you wake up and, and you're like, I got to talk to somebody about that because I couldn't sleep last night because that doesn't feel right. You know, maybe we could look at something in, in a new way or, or how are we going to approach this go forward? Um, but I, I think it's always about like it, there. It's just about being curious, and you know, I'm not great on email. I'm I'm not the best communicator. I'm not you know. But I'll walk over to someone's desk and have a conversation with them. You know, and sometimes I walk over and they're not there, and then I'll walk over again, and then I'll walk over, and it's not the most effective way. You know, like I'm not like a set up a meeting kind of guy. It's like I'll walk over and be like, and then just sit down with them and be like, hey, this has been like on my mind. So. Maybe we could talk about how we could approach this, you know, in this way, whether it's having the opportunity to talk to someone about stores or having the opportunity to talk to someone about marketing or, or whatever aspect it is about music, about the way it smells, about, you know, all these things that people think about, you know, um, and, and just being curious and like, and just kind of keep picking away at it, you know, every single day, you know, and some days like, are, are, you know, they're long and, and you're tired when you go home and you're, you're just like, oh man, that's a tough day. And then you shake that shit off and then you get the next thing and you go back, you know, and you go back and you go back and you go back and being persistent and tenacious and like not ever not caring. If that makes sense. You know, like you have to be like passionate about it and you have to like fight the fight, you know, and then there are people there that when you're exhausted and you're like, man, I can't fight today, they fight for you, you know, and then there are some days when they can't fight and you fight for them and like you all move this thing forward together, you know, and I think that that's like, that that's, that that's important, you know. What are, what are some of the things at least like that you feel that, okay, you know, 
is there any specific thing where you're like, I came in and I, this vibe didn't feel right or this sort of thing. And one of the things that we went about changing or removing was like, so I noticed that there weren't, you know, like shirtless model dudes there, you know? And it also like, to me, that was cool. Cause I'm in, not in the best physical shape ever. And I'm like, yeah, I can walk in here and it seems fine. I think changing that perception, you know, with that's big, right? You know, and I think when we were in fittings, it's like, you know, let's look at that shirt on a human in this fitting. And then you put the shirt on, it's like, that doesn't fit. That shirt does not fit. You know, why does that look like that? Oh, so when we shoot it online, it doesn't have like drag lines or something. And it's like, well, let's make it fit. <laughs> and then we can airbrush out like a drag line, you know what I'm saying? As opposed to like airbrush in fit, you know, on a human, which you can't do. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's... It's like really, you know, I think for Abercrombie at that time, at least for me, is that it it represented this lifestyle that was really unattainable for myself. And that not just the, the price when I was younger, but it was, you know, you had to... Everything was unattainable, right? Everything was, about it was unattainable. Several things, though. All due respect to that brand building because it was airtight. Right? Like it was the total package of branding and it was brilliant. But people changed. Like the times changed and that was no longer the ideal. Now the ideal is Star Wars. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's nerd rising. It's okay to be a nerd. It's okay to have a different moral compass, you know? And in fact, I think the moral compass is like that, that's, that is an ideal now. It's like, I care about this, or I care about that. I'm curious about this. And, and, and it's okay to be like, like it, I mean, it's, think about it. Like when that, when that brand was at its heyday, it was the complete opposite of how people think now, you know? And like, even if people think like they think now, it, it almost was not okay to show it. It was like, it was almost this weird reincarnation of like that eighties feeling of like that. Again, that like that that thin veneer of like everything's perfect, and like now people are like, dude, that is not ugh. right. I just want to take a shower. I want to wash that off of me. It's okay to be like pockmarked. It's okay to like have these imperfections and to be and to and to share that with people because that empowers yourself and it empowers other people, and that's 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 great. You know, like, that's what it's about, I think, as opposed to just, like, this I'm better than you mindset. Fuck that, right? Like, that's not okay. That's not okay. Um, so I think now it's about just, like, it, it, you know, it's just creating something and sharing it with people. Right. And so you've been there for how many years now? Uh, a year and a half now. Okay. So I mean, it's still pretty fresh. and oh, it, Fresh. <laughs> Crispy fresh. <laughs> In terms of, of, you know, like if you are listening to this and you're trying to kind of figure out a little bit more on how like design companies and things like that work, a lot of the things is like you, like when you come in, there was already like a year or stuff that was already done in the books, right? Totally. That's right. These things take, it takes time, you know, it takes time to not only design collections, but also there are people working on things with much longer lead times and store like the store experience that things take time. You can't just turn the lights off and turn them back on the next day. Like this is an evolution, you know, and that's the same thing happened when 
when it was being rebranded in in the early '90s. It wasn't just a lights off, lights on moment. You know, there's things that people didn't take notice for years. You know, now people are looking more closely at it because it's that much more well known, and it has a certain stigma and perception attached to it. But it takes time. You know, and there are people there. It's funny when I went. For my first interview, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, I got a call from Abercrombie and Fitch. You know, meanwhile, I worked at a store in like 1999. I'd been kicked out of school, and like my friend Art took me in in Richmond. You know, I was living on his couch for a little bit, and and uh, I, I I had a job at Abercrombie and Fitch um, and Applebee's. I was a bartender at Applebee's. Respect, love Applebee's <laughs> on Broad Street in <laughs> Richmond. If you ever want to feel terrible about yourself. Go be a bartender at Applebee's on Broad Street in Richmond. <laughs> I mean, I remember working a double shift, pouring Hennessy and Cokes for 10 hours, and I took home $35. And I was, oh, brutal. Brutal. <laughs> brutal. You know? Like, that was rough. So that, everything was uphill after that. Um, I don't even know where the fuck I was going with that. Anyway, it doesn't even matter. Abercrombie called you. Oh, yeah. Abercrombie called me. Right. So I go have like a, an interview there. And when I got to the office, it, your entire perception of the, company cha- of the company changes. You know, the people were so friendly, so smart, so open-minded. That you're just like, this is the largest slept-on secret right now. You know? And it's like... And if people could see how wonderful it was there, you know, uh, I think perception would change much quicker. I was like, it was a no-brainer for me. It was absolutely a no-brainer, you know. I got to work at club for almost five years. The guy got to be part of something very special there and work with amazing people. And then, you know, we, we changed the perception of that brand from the menswear standpoint. And then when this came up, it was just like, this is another, this is an amazing opportunity. It just like fell in my lap. And I just, it was just like, what potential that company has, what potential, you know? So, um, I just, am, I am so stoked to be there and to like try to figure it out and like kick the can down the road for the next like life cycle of that brand, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, one of the things I noticed is like similar to the club aspect of like things that are done really well from other brands and that you like were making their way into Abercrombie. Like I noticed like there's, there's tray torrents and stuff and like, you know, like, are you, are you planning on, on continuing to do more of that stuff? Yeah, totally. Where it feels natural and where it feels like organic, you know, and we already are like, but again, to your point earlier, we're a year out from some of these things that you're going to be seeing, but it's like, we pick up the phone and it's like, Oh, you know what? Who would be great to work with this person on that? Pick up the phone. And again, a year ago, people were just like, weren't picking up the phone. And now they're starting to pick up the phone again, you know? And it's like, the people that see the potential are like, yes, I get it. I get it. And it's, you know, and, 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 and it's exciting to work with these people on these projects that we're, that that we have coming up and, and, uh, yeah, dude. Yeah. That's all I got for that. No, no, that's good. We, we got basically like a minute or, or two left, but, um, so what do you think like are like in terms of next, like next terms of like what like big thing do you want to, you know, like, is there going to be something that we're like, okay, I know that I will have 
done my job right when I walk in and feel this or I feel this? Or is it just continuing to just plug away? You know, getting back on people's radar, right? And not in like, nothing irks me more than referring to a brand as like a teen brand or a mall brand or anything like, you know, like that just makes me nuts. You know, a club five years ago, it was a mall brand. People said, oh, a mall brand. That just chafes me like nothing else. I'm like, when we get Abercrombie and Fitch to the point of being considered the ultimate iconic American casual luxury brand again, where it's like, I'm thinking about buying a shirt. I'm going to try them. Just getting back on the radar. Like that to me is like, that's where some satisfaction will be derived, you know? But again, like you're never satisfied because as soon as it's in store, you're like, I can't even look at that. You know, you got to be like thinking about like what's next, you know, what's next. Like when you go into the environment, does it feel comfortable? Does it like, does it sound like you want to sound? Does it smell like you want to smell? Does it like the product feel like you want to feel? Does it feel like this place you want to spend time, you know, and be it and like, and be proud to like be attached to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to see what other stuff you're, you're, you're coming up with. I, I think it's going to be good. So I just wanted to wrap this up. Is there any other stuff that like I, you wanted to mention or plug that I, that I didn't, that I didn't ask you about? No, there's no plugs, man. I was just excited to sit down here and, and talk to you. It's nice to see you. I haven't seen you in a while, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a long time since, uh, since Mark Berger for sure. <laughs> Those were some tasty sliders. I wonder if that place is still around. Yeah, we can go. Yeah, you want to go there? All right. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, all right. Well, thanks everyone for, uh, for tuning in. Yeah. We will see you soon. You've been listening to Blamo, a podcast with an exclamation point. Thanks to Aaron Levine for stopping in. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find me elsewhere on the web on Instagram and Facebook at Blamo Podcast, or send me an email at blamopodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.